Welcome to The Difference Makers, the podcast where I talk with CEOs, visionaries, and innovators to find out what drives them to change the world. It's a podcast series developed in collaboration with the nonprofit Center for Healthcare Innovation. Hi, I'm David Ormisher, writer, entrepreneur, and the CEO of a digital agency called Closer Look. In my journey to this role, I've met some of the most amazing individuals who not only continue to inspire me, but also thousands of others. Our hope is that by getting to the heart of what matters most to them, we can shed light on how they are inspiring others to do the same. So I want to start with a story. Um, a number of years ago, I was asked to show up at a nondescript state government office in downtown Chicago. I think you can visualize the room. Four metal tables pushed together in the center of a room too small to be a conference room with swivel chairs on four sides with barely enough room to sneak by. I had been drafted to serve on a small committee to evaluate early stage companies that were seeking funding from a new state of Illinois venture fund. The bureaucrats were smart enough to recruit business people to help go through the applications and interview the finalists, but I wasn't smart enough to say no. So I saw lots of tired PowerPoint presentations and smiled at lots of earnest startup teams. But one day, Today's guest walked in. He set up his laptop like everyone else, but as soon as he opened his presentation, I knew this was a different company. We had found the proverbial needle in a haystack, a company with both a technology and a vision that could literally save lives. I sat up, leaned forward, asked questions. Finally, I could, in all good conscience, recommend funding. In fact, after his pitch, I went up to Gary Conkright, my guest today, gave him my business card and asked to meet him for coffee. That was in 2012. And today, Gary is still CEO of his company called PhysIQ, a cutting-edge technology and analytics firm using AI, artificial intelligence, to uncover personalized insights into patient health. Technology with the potential to save lives. Welcome to the program, Gary. Thank you, Dave. It's a pleasure to be here. So... Um, it's been a few years. What was that big idea that you so impressed us with back in 2012 that led to what is now PhysIQ? So at that time, I was leading a company that was using AI technology to help airlines monitor in real time the health status of the jet engines on their planes to make sure those passengers were delivered to their destination on time and safely. At that same time, uh, my mother was suffering from COPD. And after the third episode into the intensive care unit, the doctor came out and said to me one day, Gary, if we had just known about this pneumonia a day or two earlier, we could have prevented all of this, putting her on antibiotics and uh, avoiding this hospitalization and what turned out to be another 30 days in a rehabilitation hospital. And I thought to myself, why is it that we can help owners and operators of industrial equipment monitor the status of their equipment to keep it operating and producing revenue, but my mother's doctor couldn't monitor her COPD uh, while she went about her life at home to prevent that hospitalization and all the terrible human costs and financial costs that uh, resulted out of that. So you were able to analyze the health of a jet engine, but not analyze the health of your very own mom. 
Not at the time, but that was the idea behind PhysIQ. Why can't we provide uh, better monitoring for the chronically ill patients who, who uh, live in the United States? I think a fact that most people are not aware of is that 80% of the cost of healthcare delivery in this country is attributed to chronic illness. If we want to bend the cost curve, we've got to do something about better managing those who have chronic illness. And by monitoring folks using wearable sensors that are now becoming you know, very sophisticated and applying the AI technology that we applied to jet aircraft engines, we can detect these pre-symptomatic exacerbations or changes and give doctors a fighting chance of being proactive versus reactive and keeping those patients at home and out of the hospital. So um, let's back up because I, uh, there's a lot there, but I think it might be helpful. At least it was for me and fascinating, frankly, to think about how, we, how were you monitoring the health of jet engines? Like, like, what was the secret sauce there? Because obviously I'm happy to know that the jet engines on the airplanes that I travel every other week are being probably monitored. What was the secret behind your approach to monitoring jet engines? So what we did was take technology that had been developed at Argonne National Laboratory outside of Chicago here that uses AI to build personalized models of any, uh, from any data set that's made available to it, to it. So for the airlines, we would take rotational speed, pressures, temperatures, fluid flows, and build a model that characterized the unique operation of that engine. What that allows us to do, or allowed us to do, was um, compare the performance of the jet aircraft engine against its own personalized baseline, allowing us to see very, very subtle changes uh, that would give us advance notice that there was a problem. And the same type of approach is applicable with human physiology. Uh, with chronic illness, uh, patients deteriorate slowly over time. They, they really don't even understand or feel the, the differences that maybe their heart rate is, is up, up a beat or two a minute or the respiration rate is up a breath or two a minute because their body's trying to f pump more blood and oxygen to the cells to fight whatever the, the uh, infliction is. And, it, and by having a personalized baseline for each patient using the same AI-based technology, we can detect those very subtle changes and alert the clinician or the, the nurse uh, that there's something going wrong here that needs some further investigation. Interesting. So you're, you're essentially just like you did with these big, complex industrial systems. The body's obviously a very complex system. Right. You're, you're, you're collecting data. This is baseline. This is normal. And then when there's just a little variation, I mean, and then I guess your system, the algorithm sort of figure out what's noise, what's normal, what's a normal variation, but then what might be a telltale sign that something is actually not right. Yeah, so a good way of looking at this, Dave, is as you and I sit here, we each have a, a different heart rate and a different respiration rate. And I, if we walked up six flights of stairs, both of our heart rates and respiration rates would increase. As we sat down, our uh, heart rate and respiration rate would decrease back to normal. But what I do know for sure is that, uh, that your and my heart rate and respiration rate would behave very differently through that same episode. 
And th therein lies the, the personalized nature of, of medicine. If we stop comparing people to population-based norms and start thinking about what is normal for each patient, we can see those subtle changes that occur over time and allows a, a, a clinician to become proactive because they can detect these things that are pre-symptomatic that the patient uh, themselves do not do not feel or understand. That's interesting. I, my dad used to, he still, he still talks about, you know, there's 7 billion people whatnot, in the world and every one of us is different. So every one of us is going to react to food, to medications, to the environment slightly differently. Um, but maybe you could explain what population health assumptions are. What does it mean by to say population health and how does that different from what you're doing, Gary? So I gave a, a TED Med talk a few years ago and talked about the fact that um, for 400 years we've been practicing medicine the same way by determining what is normal for a population. 98.6 uh, is believed to be the normal temperature of, of human beings. Uh, it is not. Uh, we all have different core temperatures and those temperatures vary throughout the day. If we stop thinking about what is average and instead start thinking about what is normal for that patient, we bring on a whole new uh, concept of sensitivity and early detection that's just not possible if you think of things from the standpoint of what is average for a population. Because we're not average. We're all unique. We're very different. We're talking with Gary Conkright, CEO of PhysIQ, an exciting new technology called personalized analytics that learns a patient's baseline health condition, their personalized health fingerprint, if you will, and then detects subtle changes that might signal that something is going wrong in a person's body well before they even feel it themselves. It's been cleared by the FDA and is in the market today. Did I get that right? That's right. We, uh, we're very proud of the fact that we have our third FDA clearance uh, received uh, just last week. Fantastic. Congratulations on that. Thank you. So, Gary, I remember uh, several years ago, the world became anxious about an outbreak of Ebola in West Africa. Before it was declared under control, Ebola had claimed 30,000 lives. PhysIQ became part of a high-profile consortium to help fight Ebola. Can you tell us that story? You bet. Um, so Dr. Steve Steinhubel of the Scripps Translational Research Institute uh, was aware of what we were doing with AI and, um, and wearable sensors. When he was asked to uh, attend a White House conference on Ebola, this was at a time when the headlines in the daily newspapers talked about a possible pandemic. So... Um, the White House said it was marshalling some of the best and the brightest minds to figure out what do we do about this and, and how do we arrest it. And so Dr. Steinhubel asked us if we would participate in a uh, project where we actually built a uh, kind of a mesh unit telemetry system in a, in a box. And he carried that on the, airline, uh, on the aircraft with him to Sierra Leone, set it up, and was able to monitor Ebola patients uh, in a quarantined uh, unit from outside, uh, which was uh, allowed these caregivers, which are very scarce, as you would imagine, in, uh, in Sierra Leone, from having to put on a hazmat type of uh, equipment every time they went into 
take vitals from a, a patient. Uh, and so using the same technology that we are now deploying in the states to monitor chronically ill patients or help uh, pharmaceutical companies learn more about the impact that their therapies are having on, on patients, we were able to uh, make a little dent in, in that, uh, that project. Uh, had it not turned around and br been brought under control, um, these types of technologies would have enabled the, the scarce resources they do have in those remote areas to better manage uh, that population of sick patients. R remind us a little bit more about Ebola because it, it was not it was not routine for someone to just walk into an Ebola patient and take their blood rate and take their temperature, was it? Ebola is a, is a horrible disease and can be transmitted only by transfer of fluids from the patient to, um, to someone else, which requires uh, a nurse or a doctor to put on um, equipment to prevent that transfer and uh, which that, what that means is that there's less uh, surveillance of these patients. They can't do this constantly. They have to go in and out. And Sierra Leone is, is very hot, as you would imagine. Uh, so they can only go in for a certain period of time under these, these, uh, these suits. So this allowed uh, the, the patients to be monitored more closely, identify those that really did need uh, some attention and not just go in to take vitals once in a while. So, so tell us again how this technology works. I mean, what, what does the sensor look like? How does the sensor talk to your, your technology? Where does that technology reside? Where does it communicate to? There's two things needed to uh, provide remote monitoring in this way. First, we need the physiological data that is collected through uh, any type of wearable that a patient might put on. Um, we use both uh, disposable chest patch uh, devices that are worn for five or six days and then uh, replaced, or uh, wrist-worn devices that collect data from uh, a, a smartwatch, basically. So, so you've got this Band-Aid. Does it have wires that come okay. out and plug into something? How does that, how do, how do you, how are you actually collecting the data? The chest-worn disposable patch uh, uh, that we use is uh, applied to the chest, uh, worn for five days. It collects uh, a one-channel ECG and accelerometer data. That data is transferred via Bluetooth Low Energy to uh, an Android phone app, where we packetize, encrypt the data, and send it to the cloud. Uh, all the magic, so to speak, is, is uh, handled in the cloud. We take the data, we cleanse it, uh, store it and run our advanced algorithms against it. Uh, the results of that data is then presented to um, our customer, uh, be it a, a clinician monitoring a patient or a, a pharmaceutical clinical study sponsor looking for information on their, um, the performance of their therapy to detect uh, these, these changes over time and to see um, you know, the output of the analytics. Okay, so if I were to break this down without lots of tech words, basically a patient's wearing a Band-Aid kind of sensor. Sensor's collecting all this data. It's shooting it across the room into someone's Android phone, captures it there, shoots it up into the cloud, if you will, up to server somewhere. That's where you do your 
churning and crunching of numbers. And then you flag something where there's a, like we talked about earlier, where there's like a beginning to be a variance of heart rate or respiration or whatever. That's where you get the yellow flag, the red flag. And then that gets pinged to hopefully a, a, a nurse on duty at a hospital someplace who says, mm, you know what? Gary was discharged last week. We think there might be something not exactly right. And so then they pick up the phone and say, Gary, why don't you come by? Want to run a couple of tests and just check you out. That's right. The other fascinating thing to me is um, most of us think about we go in for a test. And so it's episodic. You know, we'll go in, we'll get strapped up. We might walk on a treadmill. And they're capturing data for about five minutes or 10 minutes or an hour at the most. And then I go home. I think what you're telling me is this, this technology actually gives me like ongoing real-time data for five days when I'm sleeping, when I'm awake, when I'm going for a jog, when I'm having breakfast, when I'm throwing my kids in the air. This is that sort of longitudinal real-time data that is so interesting and critical, particularly for remote patient monitoring. That's exactly right. We, we have a healthcare delivery system today that one is hospital and clinic-centric, and it's episodic. It's measurements of vitals or some type of lab results once in a while. Health happens between those uh, measurements, and particularly with the chronically ill population, uh, by being able to monitor uh, 365 days a year uh, these patients, we can detect um, subtle changes, alert the clinician uh, through a web portal that of your 100 patients that you're caring for, there are three that deserve your attention right now because something is amiss. And uh, it allows us to apply the scarce resources we have in healthcare against the highest impact population. Well, I, I go back to the story of your mom and how your doctor said that had he known earlier, he probably could have intervened and, and, and been able to nip it in the bud or, or been able to address it earlier. I, I can just imagine both patients, but also um, a lot of folks out there who are thinking about their parents. They might not be in the same town as their parents thinking, boy, if my mom or my dad, they're chronically ill, if they had something like this, if, if I knew that someone was monitoring my folks, um, that would make a world of difference. That would bring a lot of peace of mind. Yeah, that that's right. It, today, our products are are sold into a, a business setting, a, a, a payer or provider is providing this to uh, their patients. But in the future, where this is going is exactly where you you, uh, what you mentioned, David. Uh, you ought to be able to go into your neighborhood Walgreens or CVS and buy this type of, a, uh, of service and have your loved ones monitored to try to keep them living happy and productive lives. Um, you know, who, who among us does not have uh, a loved one who could benefit from some sort of uh, tool like that. So let's talk about that. What does the healthcare world look like in five to 10 years if technology like PhysIQ becomes the, the standard for personal health data? Yeah, I think, so uh, anyone who's interested in this, I think you might want to read uh, Dr. Eric Topol's book, Deep Medicine. This is the third book he's written in the last uh, eight years 
on how the convergence of technology and biology is going to provide for a more responsive and a better and cheaper healthcare delivery system. I, I think that we are moving from um, a, uh, a physician, clinician, hospital-centric healthcare delivery system to a, a patient or a personalized healthcare delivery system and um, where people own their own data and they are there's uh, taking uh, responsibility and, and have better information upon which to uh, live healthier and better lives. That's fantastic. So Gary Conkright, you've been called a visionary, you're a speaker, you travel, you're an inventor, you push the envelope with everything you do. Um, how do you define innovation? Or how do you define innovators, people who are actually able to make an impact on the world? What does it take to do that? When I talk to budding entrepreneurs who want to make a difference, the one piece of advice I try to give them all the time is to believe in yourself and not listen to all those noises around you who are telling you it can't be done. Innovation happens when someone is determined to solve a problem that they are passionate about. And once you identify that, that, that problem that you want to solve, be dogmatic, ask for advice, but don't give up because at the end, it's the innovators who make a difference. Let's build on that a little bit because um, there is sort of a, a romanticized notion of the innovator as um, a lone ranger out there doing it all by him or herself. Um, but when I look at PhysIQ, I see a, a, a really energized, passionate team. And in many ways, you've brought to life your vision, but you've also attracted around you some really talented people that, and you've put together really an all-star team to make this a reality. No, thank you for saying that. I, I absolutely believe that, and it's, it's uh, rewarding to... Uh, to know that others see that. So while it is true that I'm a serial entrepreneur, this is what I do for a living, it's my fourth startup, I, I, I love it, I wake up in the morning, I can't wait to get into work and, and push the envelope on what we're trying to do at PhysIQ. But I also consider every single member of our team an entrepreneur. We have an incredible group of talented people who come in every day working and determined to work hard to help make a difference. They could do anything that they wanted to do. Um, there's no shortage of opportunities for this type of talented people. But I think what makes a startup um, succeed is when there's a culture um, of bringing in the very best people, providing an environment for them to do their very best work, and then kind of getting the hell out of the way. Uh, and let them do what they're best able to do. Uh, I think if you look a, a, around the, the globe and you look at the successful startups, that's the one characteristic that they all have. They have an empowered group of people who all believe passionately in what they're doing and come to work every single day to make it happen. That's great, Gary. Very inspiring. Thank you. Thank you. Gary, it's been a real pleasure to spend time with you today. Thank, Thank you, Dave. 
If you want to know more about our guests, visit us at www.thedifferencemakers.health. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd love it if you would rate it, review it, and share it with others. Our focus is on individuals who are striving to change our perspectives, and in doing so, change the world. I'm David Ormisher. Thanks for listening. See you next time.